Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Kara Golden Show. I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Jing Gao, who is the founder of an incredible brand that I just shared with her. My family is obsessed with it, um, including my college kids calling me saying, I have to have that. I'm so depressed that I don't have it in my house right now. You have to get it for me. Of course, I said, order it yourself. Um, you're, you have to figure this stuff out. Uh, no, but seriously, it's the first premium Chinese food company that brings thoughtfully crafted pantry staples to the modern kitchen. And it's called Fly by Jing. And it is so, so great. Launched in 2018 by founder Jing. And it is um, incredibly popular. And the uh, sort of the, the core product that I had actually tasted early on, which got me really recognizing the brand was the Chili Crisp. Really, really great. But it's definitely a brand that is changing, I guess, the false, um, how do I say, misconceptions of for some around what is Chinese food. We're going to get have Jing talk a little bit about that and and really why she's so passionate about that too. So let's get started. Welcome, Jing. Thank you so much for having me. Totally. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And like I said, I'm a big fan um, So and love that you're doing this. So I loved reading a lot more about your backstory. And I have, I have to ask you uh, just to cover a little bit of early ground with uh, with you. So where did you grow up? And, and kind of like, I know you're living in Las Vegas uh, or just outside of Las Vegas now, but like, where did you grow up? And did that have anything to do with you starting your brand Fly by Jing? Yes. So the short answer is yes. <laughs> uh, it had everything to do with it. So I was born in Chengdu, which is the flavor capital of China. It's the capital city of Sichuan province, known for its amazing flavor profiles. Um, I mean, China just as a whole is known for incredible food, but you know, there's different regions within it. And Sichuan is one of the major ones. But so I was born there, but grew up moving around a lot because my dad was a physics, nuclear physicist. He was a professor. We moved with his job basically to a different country almost every year. So we lived in Germany and England, Austria, France, Italy, and then eventually Canada. So very nomadic childhood. 
And I think that definitely influenced how I saw myself. You know, I was often the only Asian kid in school, you know, kids couldn't pronounce my name. And so at a very early age, I decided I was going to go by a Western name to try to fit in, blend in. So I went by Jenny for most of my life. And eventually, you know, after graduating from college in Canada, um, I went to a business school that gave me the opportunity to do an exchange semester in China. So that was kind of a very pivotal moment because as an adult being in China, you know, I thought I had, I, I would have like nothing, you know, to connect with there anymore. Cause I felt, you know, I was so Western, but in fact, you know, it was a really incredible experience. And I realized just how much richness and depth there was to my heritage and to, you know, this, this, this country with so many years of, of history. And in particular, um, what really drew me was the food. So mm -hmm. uh, Chinese culture and kind of digging into it, learning about it, tasting it, you know, uh, it allowed me to connect not only with my family um, who are back in China, but also with myself and the sense of identity that I think I've really pushed down for so many years. And uh, that is kind of like the beginning of my food journey. You know, it was a very personal quest to reconnect with my roots. But um, the more I learned about it, the more I realized also how how much of a disconnect there was between what real Chinese food is and what the perceptions of Chinese food are internationally. And it became my mission to try to bridge that gap and to try to shine new light on Chinese food and, you know, give it the pedestal that I felt like that it deserved to be on. So you started your career, uh, I read at, it was at Procter & Gamble? Yeah, yeah. So I did the, you know, I graduated from business school where they told you you had only three choices. You had investment banking, consulting, or, you know, I mean, that was really, it, it was really just two choices. But um, as a, you know, to, to rebel against that, I, I went into uh, P&G brand management. So, um, yeah, that was my first job out of school. It was really amazing kind of training ground. Um, I think, you know, P&G and especially their brand manager program is is very um, thorough, very well thought through. They've got like a centuries plus worth of experience in building world-class brands. And as a brand manager, you kind of act like a mini CEO within the brand. Um, so the experience you get is just like incredible. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. 
I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell, or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com 
backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Yeah, such a great training program for sure. It's uh, it that's amazing. So then you ended up opening a restaurant. I understand in Shanghai. I think there were some roles in between there in tech, and you were trying to sort of figure out exactly what your passion was. Um, but when you finally got to opening the restaurant in Shanghai, I I feel like you were you were really answering that desire, that passion, the thing that you really, you know, would get up for in the morning. So can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so different corporate jobs kind of led me down this path to being in China. Um, and I realized, you know, I, I liked the experiences that I had. And I often would gather a lot of different types of experiences. So after brand management, I did like product management at a tech company and then a, and then a um, business development director at another tech company. And so I was gathering all these different experiences, but I also realized I knew that I didn't want to work for a corporate um, kind of entity for, for the rest of my career. And I kind of knew that I was sort of gathering different experiences in order to um, be an entrepreneur, in order to gain the confidence to like, you know, branch out and do something of my own, even though I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, but like I said, food really drew me and kept drawing me back. And so it started out as me like blogging and writing about Chinese food, doing a lot of different projects within food media, really like, again, promoting Chinese food. And then I had the opportunity when I met a, my former business partner to um, create a concept. And so for me, um, I was seeing and really inspired by the fast casual kind of restaurant model in the US that was becoming really popular, like Chipotle and Sweetgreen. And there was nothing like that in China at the time, um, especially, you know, ones that were actually celebrating Chinese flavors and not Western, you know, salads mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I wanted to combine that and then also, you know, just create food that was like super high quality and like all natural without preservatives and additives and stuff like that. So, um, so that was my first business Baoism and it was really intense, you know, going from, I was like in my mid twenties and uh, trying to figure it out. Um, I spoke Chinese, but it wasn't super fluent. So having to navigate, you know, the entrepreneurship landscape, the restaurant, the hospitality world, um, construction, design, hiring a team, you know, food supply chain, all of that. It was, it was quite challenging. It took about two years before we were able to open. Um, but it did pay off because, you know, it opened to a lot of, um, a lot of fanfare. It was very unique, um, especially at the time in Shanghai. And we had a lot of early success. That's awesome. And how did you ended up shutting it down? Uh, right. Mm -hmm. And, and what was the, I mean, that must've been very difficult. Uh, and, uh, maybe, re maybe you had some, you know, relief a little bit that it was, it was time, but I know it's, um, as a founder, right. Whether you're opening a restaurant or a product, it, it must be really hard, um, to make that decision. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had a really, you know, good run. Um, but, like you kind of hinted at, 
there's, as a first time founder, there's a lot of lessons that you learn, especially around partnership, right? And so I learned a lot of tough lessons around, you know, who, who, who makes a good partner and who doesn't. And so, you know, um, I went into that partnership, not really being discerning, because you know, it was my first time around, and I knew nothing about um, how to, you know, the the dynamics of business partnership, right? It's, it's, um, it's a really important decision. And ideally, you're picking people who have skill sets and, you know, similar worth work ethic, but skill sets that complement yours, and, you know, not just who can be financially, you know, backing the business, which, you know, you can find uh, money pretty much anywhere. But uh, what's more important is the is the actual working relationship. And so learn a lot of tough lessons with that um, when I realized it's not the right partner. And so, you know, it was a very difficult decision to leave that partnership and to, to um, eventually see, see that project kind of shudder. But for me, I think I took away from that so much experience because everything that we built, it was super hands-on for me. Um, every single piece of the business I had touched from the concept to the recipes, to the, um, packaging, to the architecture and like, you know, the supply chain, everything. Right. And so I knew walking away that, um, even though there was a loss there, there was a lot for me to take forward and to learn from and to create something even bigger and better, um, for my next project. So, and it led me to my next project, which was Flyby Jing, which is what I'm working on now. So, you know, no regrets there. So Flyby Jing, so you leave Shanghai and you come to the, the US and you decide to to launch Flyby Jing. Do you remember the moment when you said, I got to just do this? I have to go and start this. It's like, I got a great idea. I, I've learned a lot of lessons. I know how to get traction. But what was the kind of the the moment when you said, I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think initially I didn't know what it was, what fly badging even was, you know, I didn't know what my next project was going to be, but I went back to my hometown and I, and I reached out to this incredible chef who um, I just asked, like, can I stage with you, with you? Can I study like Sichuan cooking with you? Because I, I think I was just like really seeking or searching for something that was true to who I was that I could express. And, you know, um, I knew that whatever I wanted to express would be rooted in tradition, but also modern and, and also a reflection of who I was, right? Like I am the only person that I knew who was born in Chengdu, but lived in like eight countries growing up and like, you know, is Canadian, but now living in Shanghai. And so it was very like, okay, so how do I make this make sense for me? So I studied with him and it was an incredible experience learning so much about the traditions, the um, ingredients that was like really eye-opening and key for me because um, I realized through this chef who really is cooking at like a Michelin star level, there was this world of incredible artisanal Chinese food ingredients that normal people just don't even have access to or like don't even know about. Right. And you only really experience it when you are dining at those types of fine dining restaurants in China. And it's typically not what Chinese food is known for. You know, you think of Japanese food and you're like, Oh wow. Like, you know, there's so much richness and 
quality and artisanship to the ingredients. But when you think about Chinese food, you often think low quality, you know, filled with preservatives, cheap, this, that, and and the other. And, and so I was, it was really eye-opening for me to see <clears throat> that there was so much to be proud of and so much to celebrate. And so I took what I learned and, you know, kind of placed my own twist on it and started to just experiment with cooking. And that led me to opening a sort of a underground supper club. Uh, they call them private kitchens in, in China. And so by invite only, or, you know, sometimes I would do pop-up, I would do these dinners um, and, and uh, events where I was expressing sort of my own voice through Sichuan flavors. And I named it Fly by Jing um, partially because you know, in tribute to my birth name, which at the time I was still Jenny, but uh, the fly was a reference to a type of restaurant called fly restaurants in Chengdu. And these are hole in the walls that are so delicious. They attract people like flies. And I wanted to really evoke that energy, those flavors in my cooking. And so Fly by Jing was born as like kind of a roving supper club. And it was through that process of like cooking for literally thousands of people where and all over the world, not just in China, you know, I would travel and take it on the road to the US, to Australia, New Zealand, Japan. And uh, the reactions of people when they would taste the food was really what showed me that, you know, there's, there's this uh, gap to be filled, that there's this real enjoyment that people had of the flavors, but they just had no access to the flavors and the ingredients. Um, because like I said, it's even hard to find those ingredients in China, let alone outside of China, where there are these misconceptions and where there is no demand for high quality Chinese products because people have traditionally only asked for cheap products, hmm. you know, because that's the expectation. So nothing of quality would ever be exported if Chinese manufacturers are being told no one's willing to pay more than a dollar or two for your products, right? So of course, they're not going to put quality stuff into it. So that was kind of like the impetus. And in 2018, I traveled to the US and I looked on the store shelves. I went to a, a you know, Expo West, the biggest trade show. Um, and I saw nothing. I saw no representation of high quality Chinese flavors. And so that was really the moment that I decided I needed to do something and, you know, that uh, my cooking, um, the best way that I could like reach even more people with my flavors was to turn those flavors into condiments and sauces that were versatile and you could apply on anything. I love it. So what was the first product that you actually launched with? So the first product was the Sichuan Chili Crisp. So the one that you tried first. It is our hero product. And it was actually a base sauce for a lot of my dishes. And I realized that, you know, this is like a, a flavor base, but it was also shelf stable. So I could like put it in a jar and I was selling it locally in Shanghai already. But in 2018, after seeing the state of Expo West, I um, launched a Kickstarter for basically that product. I told my story. I, I filmed a video with my friends. We went to Chengdu for five days and like filmed this video talking about my mission and like what I wanted to do to like change the narrative about Chinese food and do it through this incredible condiment, which is, 
you know, chili oil. And it's an extremely popular hot sauce and condiment in China, but really non-existent at the time in the U.S. And um, from that Kickstarter, I was able to raise enough money to create my first big batch at scale. Um, it was it was actually, you know, a, a bunch of press picked up on it. So it turned out, you know, to go viral. It ended up being one of the highest funded craft food projects on the platform. Wow. And it was enough kind of uh, proof of concept or indicative of, of enough demand that I decided I was going to move to the U.S. So that winter, I packed up my bags and moved to Los Angeles. Um, and I set up the company from there. That's amazing. So what are some of the insights that you have into like the creative process of of developing? Like how, how many SKUs do you guys have today? How did you think about launching more SKUs? Obviously, the Szechuan Chili Crisp was the, it was, it, it, it gave you confidence, right? That people loved it. It was doing well. But when do you go and launch other products, follow-on products from there? Yeah, so um, because of the initial success of the Kickstarter for Sushan Chili Crisp, I actually, like, to try to keep the momentum going, I was offering these, like, stretch goals on Kickstarter. So, like, if we hit, like, 50K, then I will introduce another sauce. <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> what I didn't expect is that we ended up hitting all the stretch goals, and all of a sudden I had to produce three sauces. So it was Sushan Chili Crisp, Joan Sauce, and Mala Spice was my first three. And that actually became our first, you know, set of um, products that we launched with. And um, we called it the triple threat. Uh, we've, you know, I felt like it was Love three it. different, very, very different sauces. Uh, one was like, you know, this savory, spicy, crispy chili oil. One was a sweet and spicy chili oil. And then the last one was like a spice mix. It was kind of like a blend. Um, and then, you know, from there, over the last four years that we've been around, we've also introduced more products, kind of like um, so hot sauces and uh, chi like chili sauces. We've, we've got <clears throat> like a, chi a chili crisp vinaigrette, which is an extension of the, the, of the chili crisp, which is, you know, our bestseller. We've also got um, a hot oil that we were actually on the show Hot Ones. Uh, with which is more of like a hot sauce, you know, a pure hot sauce, very spicy. Um, we most recently have launched a sauce that I'm personally extremely excited about called Chandu Crunch, which is a ultra crunchy version of chili oil. Ah. Uh, it's got all these delicious like beans and fava beans and and uh, protein kind of packed seeds and stuff in it, and it's just delicious. Um, but, you know, in between, we also have launched a lot of, like, non-sauce items, too. There was a year where we did frozen dumplings. And the way that I really looked at that was, you know, people have to eat the sauce on something, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, to make it even easier for them to enjoy the sauce by introducing frozen dumplings. Now, the frozen dumplings were really successful, but we decided to sunset them after a year because... Ultimately, I realized that we were starting to like run two different companies, right? You've mm -hmm. got condiment side and you've got frozen, very different supply chain, logistics, and margin profiles. So 
it didn't make sense for us to do both as one team. Um, and ultimately, I learned a lot about the importance of focus and, um, you know, narrowing down what you're doing, you know, and, and not spreading ourselves too, too thin. So um, staying within the same category, basically, um, as much as you can. And so, um, but another area we've found success in terms of product development is like partnerships. So we've done a lot of collabs. So you might have seen our Fishwife collab. They were actually just on Shark Tank. And uh, our product was on there. It's a chili crisp smoked salmon, um, which has been extremely popular. It's, it's a delicious product. Um, we've also done collabs with like Daring, plant-based chicken, with Sun Noodle, ramen, with um, uh, little sesame hummus. And so now we're starting to show up in different aisles of the grocery store. Uh, not just in the condiment aisle, but with our branding, but not with like, but, but like not our company having to do the actual production, which has been a really great, um, a great strategy for us. I love that because these collaborations are still getting your brand out there. Right. And that's, that is really powerful and you're not paying for that. So it's, uh, it's kind of the, Intel inside from, you know, way long ago theory of, of uh, working together on these different collaborations. I really like that a lot. So what are some of the biggest obstacles? I would say like trying to figure out, do you want to be in multiple businesses? That's probably a big obstacle. But has there been anything else along the way, maybe a packaging change or, you know, scaling in some way where you've just felt like, gosh, this is harder than I ever thought. And, or why did I make that mistake along the way? We've heard so many, um, you know, amazing ones along the way. We've heard from kombucha brands that, uh, where their product, uh, like literally exploded because <laughs> they, they were trying to do things that, uh, you can't do, um, under, under pressure. And, um, anyway, I, I'm just curious if that sort of, brings up anything for you as you've been building this brand that has been, you know, another lesson. And how many lessons do we have to learn as founders, as I always say? You know, it's like there's so many, but is there anything that has come up? I think it's just endless, right? Like it's it's an endless journey of challenges and it never ends. Um, but, you know, in the early days, for sure, you know, they, 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 those challenges look a little different from what they are now. Um, we, yeah, when you talk about like explosions of product, like we've had lots of, you know, mishaps in manufacturing. Um, but I would say probably the one that sticks out the most is like, you know, shortly after we launched, um, it was, uh, you know, we officially launched in around February of 2019. And a year later, it was COVID. And at that point, um, you know, we produce everything in my hometown in China, right? So the production was was ground to a halt. There was um, a lot of questions on whether U.S.-China trade relations would be in danger. I had no idea what the future of this business was going to be. And also with like a lot of you know discrimination against Asian people here in, in the U.S., um, I had no idea what my future in this country will be. And, uh, you know, you started to see this crescendo of, you know, 
um, trolls and criticism online for our products, right? People saying like, oh, like I'm not going to buy anything from China or, you know, Chinese food is is supposed to be cheap. How dare you charge $15 for like a Chinese hot sauce? That's like ridiculous. Um, you know, Haters. all these like really... Yeah, all these really uninformed prejudice, like kind of sentiment started to come up. And, um, and it's not like it didn't always exist, but it was just very, very loud. And, you know, that was a scary time. What ultimately ended up happening was um, we ended up doing better than ever during COVID because of people cooking at home, people wanting uh, new, exciting easy flavors to add to their home cooking, right? Bringing restaurant flavors home. And the truth of the matter is, you know, Chinese food has been a fabric, a part of the fabric of like American dining for forever. You know, there's more Chinese restaurants Mm -hmm. in America than all the fast food chains combined. There's more than 50,000 Chinese food, Chinese food restaurants in America. And, um, but, you know, there is this misconception of around Chinese food that we've, you know, we face and that is a challenge. And, and that's this basic just like misunderstanding of, of what it is, right? And the perception that um, it's, you know, it's, it's not worth paying for. And that really comes from this idea well, this concept called like the hierarchy of taste, which was coined by a sociologist in, in NYU. And it's all about how we place value on a cuisine based upon the value that we place on the socioeconomic status of immigrants from those countries. Right. And so, um, mm-hmm. but that's dynamic, right? A hundred years ago, Italian food was also looked down upon, but now you can go to a restaurant and pay $50 for a quick So interesting. Right. And so these are, these are things that evolve. And I knew that, Fly by Jing and myself and other entrepreneurs like myself would be part of that evolution to push that forward. And so, um, you know, and I noticed that a lot of the criticism against our brand was people who had a very narrow set of experiences when it came to Chinese food, but a very strong opinion. They would be like, well, this is not what I experienced when I, you know, have eaten at Chinese restaurants or when I've been to China once or, you know, (laughs) anything like that. And, um, and, you know, my question back to them would be, well, why, you know, like, why do you think Chinese food has to be a certain way or has to fit into your very narrow set of experiences, right? Um, And uh, there's, you know, I think, um, I think, so that really inspired me to rethink what is on our jar and like kind of what our brand stands for prior to that point. Um, and if you look at like the old Kickstarter uh, pages, the branding was very different from what it is today. It was just a really attractive, bright, um, flashy kind of neon uh, label in the beginning. And it was really just, you know, I designed it because I wanted to, have people do a double take when they saw the product and to, you know, ask themselves why they expected Chinese food to look differently, right? Like no one expected a jar of chili sauce to look the way that it did. Um, People said it looked more like a high-end beauty product. But uh, aside from that, it didn't really tell our story, you know? And so I started to work on a rebrand that really, 
you know, I felt addressed a lot of like what we were about and also addressed a lot of like the misconceptions that we were facing all the time. And there was so much richness to that story um, that the brand really felt like it should be like a maximalist um, kind of experience. And that was a deviation from brands at that time that were really minimal, very like pastel in color. And like, you know, we kind of went the opposite direction more towards like a Dr. Bronner or like an Oli. Um, but so what you see on the jar today, you, you really can read our entire story. It says food by Jing, who used to go by Jenny and who uses her experience as a trained chef to share, you know, flavors with, with the world. And, our tagline, not traditional, but personal. Again, referring to the fact that this is not a product that fits into your, your very narrow box of what Chinese food is, right? It's a very personal expression and there's room for that, you know? Um, And there's room for many more just like us as well. So kind of taking you out of this like very black and white and, um, very kind of, you know, this this view of Chinese food that was lacking in nuance and introducing a lot more, um, a lot more nuance. And so once we launched that brand, that rebrand, I think people just got it, you know. And um, I think that sort of was like the beginning of a new era for Fly by Jing. And it just so happened that during COVID, around the same time of the rebrand, um, and this was not planned. I finally found the strength to regain, to to reclaim my birth name as well. So I became Jing from Jenny. I love that. So what a what a great story, an incredible product. Uh, so Jing, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. And Fly by Jing is incredible. Congratulations! You should be so proud. And everything that you're doing uh, is is uh, amazing. I should say that the chili crisp. I saw a note about it that it's uh, great on ice cream, and I tried it last night, and it actually really is amazing on ice cream too. So there's so many different opportunities, and obviously you're doing great partnerships too. But we are going to be watching out for you, and hopefully. Um, everybody will go out and get some Fly by Jing, go online as well. They're in lots of stores uh, too, but um, really, really great. So thanks again, Jing. Really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed myself. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. I would love to hear from you too, so feel free to DM me. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Undaunted, where I share more about my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.